focus on headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. We have our Friday reporters joining us in the studio, Kwon Soa and Son Bogyang. Guys, welcome back. Good to Friday. see you. All right, uh, we have a number of different issues at hand right now. Uh, we're going to start things off with the ruling and the opposition, main opposition parties, finally reaching an agreement on the parliamentary committee formation. Uh, Bogyang, let's get the uh, details on that. Sure. So both the ruling and main opposition parties finally reached agreement on Friday on how to form the parliamentary committee. The National Assembly has been out of session for 53 days since May 30th, as the DP and PPP have been struggling to conclude on which party will control key committees. On Friday, Representative Kwon Sung-dong, acting chair and floor leader of the PPP, and Representative Park Hong-gun, the floor leader of the DP, reached a final agreement in a meeting chaired by National Assembly Speaker Kim Jin-pyo. Under the agreement, the People Power Party will take seven committees, including the Judiciary, the Intelligence, Defense, and Public Administration committees, while the Democratic Party will take 11 committees, including the National Policy, Science, and SME-related committees. Regarding the chairmanships of the Science and the Public Administration Committees, which were considered to be the stumbling blocks to reaching an agreement, both sides agreed to take turns in holding the chairmanships for one year each. Another hurdle was the launch of a special committee on judiciary reform, but this was also agreed that the DP will take the chairmanship and the committee will be filled with six lawmakers from each party. Both parties also agreed to launch two special committees to look into political and pension schemes, which will be chaired by both the DP and PPP, respectively. After the meeting, Kwon Sung-dong told reporters, quote, Both parties are not entirely satisfied with the agreement, but it was more urgent to wrap up the committee formations and start dealing with livelihood issues. As the ruling party, we secured the chairmanships for committees key to running state affairs, unquote. It was expected that the parties will hold a plenary session later Friday to finalize the agreement. Yeah, again, I mean, 53 days, right? Uh, we can understand why the uh, the main opposition DP was kind of, were kind of against uh, some of the selections there. But it also doesn't look make them look good if they keep on dragging this out. So, I mean, 53 days is uh, certainly a long period of time, especially with all the things that are going on here in Korea. Uh, other news here. We have some updates on the, the strikes by subcontract workers at the Taewoo Shipbuilding and Marine Engineering. It looks to have come to an end with labor and management having reached an agreement on this uh, Friday. So so what, tell us more about this. Yes, yeah, so this was a last-minute agreement after a 51-day strike by subcontract workers at the major shipbuilder and uh, also a number of negotiations. Now, labor and uh, management came to an agreement this afternoon. I think it was around 4 p.m. after they started closed-door uh, negotiations this morning around 8 a.m. I believe today it was they were really serious about these negotiations. That's yeah. why also the um, journalists were not allowed in there. And uh, there were concerns that the protests would protect for a much longer time as this Friday was a very decisive day. It's because uh, the company goes to, into summer vacation uh, mm. now for some weeks. So if they would have not solved the issue and uh, failed to reach an agreement, that would mean the strikes would continue and it would have a much bigger impact uh, for a longer time on everyone that's involved. So the 51 days sit-in at uh, the Global Ship 
shipbuilders Okpo Shipyard on Gojedo Island. It began early June. The DSME subcontractors demanded a 30% wage hike as well as an improvement in working and employment conditions. And since June 22nd, they had even occupied an oil tanker that's under construction at the shipyard's main dock. The employers and striking workers had made an agreement on the wage hike, but uh, there were remaining contentious issues that needed to be solved, such as uh, the succession of some subcontract workers and a withdrawal of a damages suit against the protesters. And almost all of that has been negotiated, it looks like, uh, this afternoon, with some details, however, remaining. But uh, as I said, the reason for why they decided to come to a conclusion for now is because of uh, the occasion that's coming up. And also, there were also talks about the government actually, you know, getting involved in the issue to stop the strikes, to use their force to stop the strikes. So yes, I think um, for everyone, it's good news that they did come to this agreement. I mean, if you look at it from the outside, you might think it's just an issue that's involving those uh, people, the workers and the employers. Yeah, no, it's not. No, yeah. it's not. Come to think of it, it's a really big company that's really influencing South Korea's economy and yeah. trade. And that is why a longer strike would affect us as people living in Korea as well. Sorry, did you give a figure on how much of an operating loss is caused by any chance? Because I'm looking at this right now. I'm looking at the article as you were speaking. I was going to, but can you please read it out? Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, uh, they're saying, Tehu Shipbuilding and Marina, uh, they said uh, the estimated aggregated uh, operating loss from the prolonged strike to be more than 800 billion right. won. That's 608 million US dollars in the 51 day, was it 51 yeah. days that they were on strike? That is a massive, mm. massive loss right now. And it's, again, I mean, so you made a really good point that it doesn't just affect those two. It really affects the Korean economy. And especially because right now, uh, there's already uh, sort of a uh, the problem a, uh, with the supply chain issues and so forth. Um, and uh, it's good news. But again, uh, there's some things to tweak here and there here. Uh, one of the things that South Korean government has been really pushing for uh, in the past year or so is uh, exporting more military goods. Uh, we've been hearing a lot of reports on that. In fact, we've been hearing about that. Poland being one of those countries that really wants to ramp up their military supplies, especially because, let's face it, they are very close to Russia. I think that's one of the reasons. Poland announced they're going to be additionally purchasing more than 300 K2 tanks. That's going to come up to up to 1,000 units with export volume reaching up to 17 trillion Korean won. Uh, that comes out to about 13 billion U.S. dollars. Uh, Pongyang, let's get the details of this. Right. So it looks like Poland will add another 300 units of the K2 tanks and will import a total of 1,000 units. If the deal is signed, it will be the largest export volume for a single weapons deal, amounting to 17 trillion Korean won. Part of the K2 volume of the manufacturing company Hyundai Rotem will be produced in Poland along with the technology being transferred to the country. According to the South Korean government and defense companies, Hyundai Rodem is expected to sign a MOU Memorandum of Understanding on July 27th with the Polish Ministry of Defense to export 1,000 units of its K2 tanks. Following the MOU, Hyundai Rodem will provide 180 tanks by 2024 and 400 tanks by 2030. The remaining 300 units will be manufactured in Poland. It is also agreed that the South Korean government and defense companies will transfer the technology as well.
And as I've already mentioned, the export value will be at least 17 trillion Korean won. And South Korean officials have recently met with Hyundai Rodem to discuss the export volume and price. And not only that, it's not just Hyundai Rodem, but it's also Korea Aerospace Industries, or so-called KAI, K-A-I, is also expected to export 1.1 trillion Korean won worth of its light attack aircraft to Malaysia this September, expanding the scope of South Korea's weapons export. KAI, or KAI, recently reported to the South Korean government that it is highly likely to export 18 units of its FA-50, which is a deal worth 1.1 trillion Korean won coming September. The company plans to tap the Asian and European market with its track record of exporting to Poland and Malaysia. In fact, Kai signed a deal to export 3.4 trillion Korean won worth of its FA-50 aircrafts to Poland this September. Yeah, again, I mean, I've been talking about this uh, for quite some time now. South Korea really exporting a lot of these uh, military goods. By the way, Hyundai Rodem, uh, my goodness, I mean, this is a company I used to follow very carefully. Back when, when I was doing stocks, uh, I know Yang Gurum, you're listening, you're big on this. Uh, this company does a lot. Uh, they do uh, military equipments and also they uh, create KTX. They're also doing the, uh, the more environmentally friendly uh, KTXs is what they're going to be forming soon. On the news that they're selling 300 more K2 tanks to Poland. Their stocks went up 20.79% wow. today. Mm. <laughs> That's, that is massive stuff there. All right, kudos to them. Of course, South Korea now trying to be a big powerhouse, big, big playmaker uh, in this uh, export industry here. Uh, let's also talk about South Korea's tech giant, uh, Samsung Electronics, appearing to have a massive investment plan for chip-making plants in the United States. We're talking about specifically Texas. Uh, there were news on this before. Now, we do have some, I guess, a clearer picture on the plan itself. So uh, let's get the details of this. Sure. A mid-to-long-term plan has been revealed, according to media outlets like Wall Street Journal, citing documents filed with the state of Texas. So... According to a report, Samsung Electronics is eyeing an expansion of semiconductor productions in Texas involving 11 factories worth close to 200 billion U.S. dollars in the next two decades or so. That would be nine units uh, being built in Taylor and two in Austin. The leading memory chip maker is already operating two semiconductor plants in Austin and is building a foundry plant in Taylor worth $17 billion to make advanced chips. But uh, the latest plan actually is not really a fixed blueprint, uh, with Samsung actually having said this is only a mid to long term plan to evaluate the feasibility of expanding its business in the US. So it's rather a hypothetical proposal that may change under new circumstances. Now, the first new production facility, in fact, would not start running until about year 2034. The potential investment plan has been submitted recently to Texas in a bid to receive tax breaks under the state's so-called Chapter 313 Property Tax Incentives Program, which expires in December. So I believe it's not only Samsung, but also many Mm. other companies, not only in Korea, that have similar plans in Texas. So it's uh, to, uh, you know, don't have to get the benefit from those tax breaks. Now, if the tech giant indeed goes ahead with the plan as proposed, though, each plant would cost over 12 billion U.S. dollars and create at least 900 jobs. 
jobs. Uh, this latest development comes amid high anticipation on increased cooperation in the semiconductor sector between the two allies, South Korea and the U.S., uh, and uh, which has become very obvious since the bilateral summit between Presidents Yoon Seok-yeol and Joe Biden in May, when Biden visited Samsung Electronics plant in Pyeongtaek, where the two agreed to work more closely in the semiconductor sector. Yeah, and speaking of which, uh, in the recent uh, visit by U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, uh, mm-hmm. where did she visit? She visited the uh, the battery L- plant, LG, right? Yeah. LG Energy mm-hmm. Solution, right? So we do have news on the upgraded production on the uh, the very battery sector here. So uh, uh, the company we just talked about, LG Energy Solution, releasing new plans as well on this Friday. Exactly. So South Korea's battery giant LG Energy Solution, which is a split off from LG Chem and a leading global manufacturer of lithium-ion batteries for EVs, mobility, IT, and energy storage systems, will double its battery production capacity in collaboration with Ford Motor Company by 2023. And this comes amid rising demand for Ford's electronic vehicle lineup of the Mustang Mach-E and E-Transit. LGES has been providing its batteries for those models since the latter half of 2020. In a press release, the battery producer said it had increased its manufacturing capacity at its facility in Wroclaw, Poland, by making use of its existing production lines and advancing its facilities, and is now vowing to double its production line by next year. And from there on, there also plans uh, further production. LG Energy Solution is known for its uh, global joint ventures with major automakers such as with GM, Stellantis, and Hyundai Motor Group. So I was I cracked a smile because uh, of my pronunciation. Soa turned probably what is one of the most American cars out there, and Ford Mustang into a German car. <laughs> <laughs> Her pronunciation of the Mach E uh, was <laughs> impressive to say the least. Uh, guys, we are going to be talking about something that's been going on for the past eighteen years. Uh, we were kind of thinking maybe since we saw some thawing relations happening with uh, South Korea and Japan. Uh, maybe they wouldn't be mentioning this. Well, it happened anyways. Japan, again, making their repeated claims to Tokyo in their annual defense white papers here. Uh, what did they say this time, and uh, what's been South Korea's, uh, go- the South Korean government's response to this, Po Gyeong? You're right. So once again, for the 18th consecutive year, Japan repeated its sovereignty claims to South Korea's Tokyo Islet in its annual defense paper. It's also interesting that the importance of stronger security cooperation between Seoul and Tokyo was also mentioned in the white paper as well. The white paper stated the grave security situations of the region due to countries such as North Korea, China, and Russia and also emphasized the need to beef up the nation's defense capability, citing for the first time the word counterattack. On Friday, the cabinet meeting presided over by Fumio Kishida adopted the 2022 defense white paper. The white paper stated that the territorial issues of Japan, including the one with Tokdo, or the Japanese name, Takeshima, have not been resolved yet. In every map in the white paper that shows Dokdo's location, the white paper would write Takeshima and that that should be the location where their defense military should be residing. 
And it was the same as last year that the white paper also stated, quote, we strongly demand an appropriate response from the ROK side so that South Korea-Japan, ROK-US-Japan cooperation is not damaged by negative responses from the South Korean defense authorities. Citing the response to the General Security of Military Information Agreement, or GSOMIA, and the ROK Navy's military training around Tokdo. This year's defense white paper can become another stumbling block in amending both countries' relations because earlier this week, Foreign Minister Park Jin did visit Tokyo to talk to his counterpart, showing the new government's commitment to have a more future oriented relationship. The South Korean government strongly condemned Japan on Friday for such repetitive claims and summoned Makato Hayashi, the Minister for Political Affairs at the Japanese Embassy, to deliver a strong and formal protest message to Tokyo. All right, so literally what the white paper now is saying, okay? So we are seeing some improvements in the way they're wording the relations with South Korea, right? Uh, So they're saying, all right, so, you know, when it comes to South Korea, uh, they are a very important uh, partner or, or you know neighboring country when it comes to uh, we need cooperation because of all the nuclear threats from North Korea but 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 Tokyo is still ours is what they're saying I mean so that's one thing that's not changing right now but what's what's I I what I want to know is how this is going to or if at all uh, going to impact this road, this path that the two side has been kind of walking on right now, because it uh, seems like right now uh, things are looking pretty rosy, right? Uh, You know, Park Jin, Foreign Minister Park Jin, having gone over to uh, Tokyo, talking about uh, uh, trying to find the middle ground on the compensation of the the forced laborers, uh, you know, removing the export restrictions by Japan, uh, possible uh, implementation of the GSOMIA once again. But then this pops up. How is this? Do you think this is going to impact, I guess, what was a pretty nice walk so far between the two sides? So let's start off with you. Uh, to be honest, I don't think it's really going to impact uh, the path that uh, the recent positive uh, path that South Korea and Japan both were aiming to go. But I think we should actually be a little more stronger towards this issue now. Because, as you said, 18 years, for the past 18 mm. years, Japan did not change its view regarding Tokdo and I mean we had a lot of different South Korean governments throughout the years but still the same thing is going on and on all we do is we summon official from the Japanese embassy in Seoul and yeah they do the same thing in their annual uh, white papers and then South Korea uh, does the same um, comment regarding that so I think uh, it's time that we should uh, be a little more strict uh, and maybe even, uh, you know, go back again uh, and, um, you know... I'll take a step back. Yes, take a step back again in the relations, If uh, saying if you don't change your view in regards to historical issues or territorial issues, then we will not try to improve these relations. Uh, what about yourself, uh, Po Kyung, your thoughts on this? I think it will be like a two-track relationship. This side, it will be yeah. like the diplomatic side and the historical issues. So these will have to be tackled on this side. And the other track will be about the security issues such such as security, China, North Korea, and so on. So, But it's a pity, I think, because it was just three days ago that Park Jin actually visited Tokyo. So it's not even long ago. It's just three days ago. And he came back telling reporters, you know, they've been seeing a little bit of progress. I think things are getting a little bit better. And this was a visit. This was a summit that was done after four years and seven months. So it it's significant in that it 
really happened at all. But still, I think we will have to maintain this two-track relationship and handle these in parallel. Yeah, I think that's really yeah. realistic, and that's also why I think that this won't really impact um, the further relations. Yeah, but I don't want this to be separated because it's all the same uh, issues under diplomacy. Right. So, like, what Seoul is saying is basically, unless that you can go to a two-track approach, which, by the way, I think it's kind of always been that way. Mm. In that, when it comes to like North Korean nuclear issues and stuff like that, Japan's always like. Oh, we need to cooperate. Mm. Uh, you know, alliance is very important. But when it comes to historical issues, nope, hands off on this. So unless both are kind of resolved, mm. I, I don't think you're going to see like a fully thawed relations. Um, but like the big question with this is, is it one of those things when it's going on for 18 years? Is it is it one of those like boy who cried wolf situation where just false statements being tossed in every single time mm. that we just ignore it? Or do we not? Because, I mean, this is exactly what we're talking about, right? I mean, it seems like the UN administration, they're very keen on improving ties with Japan. And I think there's a lot of good to come out of that, uh, especially with the, the export restriction, uh, Jisomia. And I think right now Japan knows, and even the United States, they know resumption of Jisomia. That's very important because of all the things going on right now in the Korean Peninsula. But the thing is, it's always the historical issues. And so far, we've only talked about uh, the, the compensation of the forced laborers. But another historical issue is always every single year, Tokdo around this time. And so unless I, I feel like the government, like so I'm, I don't think they're taking this too seriously right now uh, because they say it all the time. But the people that do take it seriously are the Korean citizens. Mm. Uh, and this is going to lead to all these like little boycotts here and there. And, uh, you know, that. I mean, this is I don't understand it because for our listeners out there, they literally found an old Japanese map, map produced in Japan that says Tokdo is Korean territory and all of a sudden they're going upstairs. So. And I think the most important thing here is not, I mean, we as uh, South Koreans know that uh, Tokdo is our territory and that's why some say we should actually not be too strong in protesting against it because it's something, oh, it's yeah. fact, it's yeah. fact. And then, okay, let just Japan say what it wants. But then the thing is, many countries around the world, other countries still don't really know uh, the truth behind this. And this is why I think uh, from the South Korean point of view, we should also, it's tricky, but I think we should more, uh, you know, uh, advertise to the world. Um, for instance, have more uh, in many languages, promote Tokto. Yeah, and that's what we do we on Tokto Day, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Tokto Day, I think it's in, in October. And uh, every year, I believe, uh, there's like... Uh, at least some organization or somebody uh, taking out a massive ad on like the New York Times or like in the Times Square, you know, the big screens there, uh, you know, letting people know that Tokdo does belong to South Korea. But but then there's again Japan having its Takashima events, right? No, but then like, <laughs> like yeah, I know. But then like it, it just makes no sense because then again, I mean, this is like oh my God, I, I say this all the time. This is mentioned like every year. This is mm. mentioned. I say this. Like, there's literally, like, Koreans in Tokdo right now. So if that's really Japanese territory, then are, do we invade Japan? I mean, you know, it just makes no sense, right? So because it's allowed, uh, it clearly shows that, I mean, Tokdo is Korean. But mm. I, it just, I mean, I don't know why we have to see this on, like, a yearly <laughs> basis, right? I just, I just don't understand. For the past 18 years, even. Yeah, 18 years that it's been kind of, like, 
officially kind of a problem, but it's been a problem even longer mm-hmm. than this. But uh, I remember, uh, actually, I remember when it was like first mentioned 18 years ago, because that was when I believe there was a massive boycott mm. on all Japanese goods. And I remember this because at that time, 18 years ago, I was uh, trying to make some uh, side cash. And I was doing import-export of uh, laptop computers. Oh. And so I was buying cheap laptops overseas and, you know, flipping it, selling it into the American, uh, into the American market. That, that everything was going well until I bought a Sony laptop. <laughs> and then the boycott hit. Mm-hmm. And I was sending this to Korea because it was cheaper to buy in America and then send it over to Korea and then, you know, sell it there. But uh, I remember losing out on a lot of money because of that. <laughs> That's why I remember 18 years ago. Uh, it was exactly around this time. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, COVID-19 once again. Uh, infection numbers uh, lingering around the 70,000s once again. It's another surge this Friday. Compare to a week ago. So uh, let's get the latest figures here. Sure. So 68,632 infections were reported as of 12 a.m. this Friday. We have a total of more than 19 million cases now in the country. So it is a slight drop by some 2,500 from the day before. But uh, as you said, it's a rise compared to a week ago. Uh, So considering that the daily figure drops towards the end of the week, it's not a significant decline. In fact, compared to last Friday, the figure has almost doubled. We had some 38,800 cases. Uh, Meaning in recent weeks, cases are almost doubling every week uh, in the span of a week. And the uh, figure we're seeing this Friday of more than 68,000, that's the highest number uh, for a Friday in 13 weeks. And 323 of today's cases were imported cases. So even imported cases have been in the 300 range for the fifth consecutive day. The number of patients in severe or critical condition is also on the rise, 130 uh, as of 12 a.m. And this number also doubled in the span of a week. And deaths are also going up. 31 people have died in the past day. That's 14 more than yesterday. And this is also the highest number in 55 days. Uh, Hospital operation rate is also gradually on the rise, standing at 18.2%. And the number of people recovering at home stands at close to 330,000. So, I mean, this is the big question that I have, because uh, the consensus is even what the health experts were saying is that, sure, the Omicron uh, BA5, the BA4 and BA5, it's uh, it's far more transmissible, but it's not as dangerous, right? Right. But the, the numbers we're seeing here, when you're telling me, and I always tell, I always say this on the show, the number that I look at specifically, not necessarily the daily number, like the infection numbers, mm-hmm. but number one, the critically ill patient numbers, that's doubled in a week. Fatality, uh, 31. I mean, that's a high figure considering South Korea, right? So if indeed uh, the Omicron subvariant uh, BA5 is not as deadly, uh, we wouldn't see the critically ill patients go up that much. Or we wouldn't see the fatality rates uh, go up that much as well, which is why I think still people, uh, this, this is the reason why health authorities have been continuing to push for uh, vaccinations. And uh, we did talk to uh, Dr. David Kwok earlier this week, and he said that, uh, yes, uh, even though there are people waiting for these upgraded versions of these uh, vaccines, still the vaccines that we have now, they're still somewhat uh, effective against these uh, new subvariants, and if anything, the, the the most important thing is it does prevent deaths or like serious illnesses. 
uh, from COVID-19. So I don't know. I guess we're back to uh, square one uh, once again here. Uh, Pogan, we have, I guess, uh, some updates on what's going on in the United States. Uh, is numbers going up uh, there as well? Yeah, but first of all, I'd like to talk about President Joe Biden being infected with or testing positive oh, with COVID-19. Yeah. So to begin with that, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden tested positive on Thursday for COVID-19 and is currently isolating at the White House. According to the White House press secretary, the 79-year-old who is fully vaccinated and has twice received booster shots is experiencing very mild symptoms and will continue to carry out all his duties. It is said that President Biden felt tired with a runny nose and dry cough before testing positive. He is currently taking the antiviral medicine Paxlovid. His wife, First Lady Jill Biden, and Vice President Harris tested negative, though. And to reassure the public, Biden has been posting on social media that he's doing great, showing pictures of him working. And following the White House protocol, Biden will continue to work in isolation until he tests negative. Currently in the U.S., the BA5 is probably the dominant variant, has positioned itself as the most contagious variant, and is also known to be vaccine evasive. The official daily average number of new infections in the U.S. is about 127,000. But considering that people are testing at home and we're not including those numbers, the actual numbers are assumed to be 10 times more mm. than that. Jeez, that is, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, in the United States, I, you know, I talk to my buddy of mine uh, every week and he's just like, yeah, no one's testing, right? Uh, but the big problem right now is, I mean, uh, you know, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden at his age, that's kind of the, the big concern. But I guess the good news is because the, the, Omicron, the Omicron variant is, uh, I guess, less deadly than the initial COVID-19. You guys remember when uh, Donald Trump had uh, covid mm -hmm. that was though the beginning no yeah it was like at the start right like yeah. he was kind of touting the no mask and you know mm -hmm. forget about vaccines and he got uh, infected and i think things were not so good initially i mean mm -hmm. they had to go through like all sorts of treatments and i know uh, what was it uh boris johnson right. when he got covid it was like mm -hmm. really bad right like he was in icu or something like that mm -hmm. and there right. people saying like oh my goodness like what's going to happen to him and these are like people who uh, both of them who kind of downplay covid but yeah. uh and it's a good example of uh, biden uh, having lighter symptoms because he even got uh, the second booster two shot. booster shots, right? Yeah, yeah, and so that, I think that's what it is. I, I think now we've gotten to the point where even if you've gotten the booster shots and whatever, like you can still get infected. But the most important thing is like not dying from it, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, uh, this is a very good example of that. Uh, apart from COVID, uh, something we have to be careful every year, uh, especially when summertime it's humid and things like that uh food poisoning is really really bad which by the way for our listeners out there i know uh kimbap has been like the big trending food because of that uh, drama the extraordinary attorney Ooh. uh but kimbap is one of those food that you want to kind of watch out for so uh, south korean health authorities warning of a rise in such a uh, food poisoning. Right. So from uh, viruses to bacteria, the Korea Centers for Disease Control and Prevention called on extra caution this Friday on salmonella and campylobacter infections. I hope I said it correctly. Those are both some of the most common types of food poisoning. And in fact, uh, the KDCA said that between the 10th and 16th this month, there were 104 cases of salmonella and 113 cases of 
Campylobacter infections reported. And uh, if you compare that to the last week of April, there were just double digits, 25 and 22 cases respectively. So the number did really go up. And they also expect a further rise at the end of this month until early next month. And the main source of infection of salmonella are eggs, milk, meat, and processed products exposed to salmonella. And in the case of Campylobacter infection, it comes with non-sterile food and poultry like chickens and ducks. And the symptoms are vomiting, diarrhea, which can last up to a week. The KDCA called on people to pay extra attention on hygiene management, such as washing hands 30 seconds at least uh, during the summer and due to active bacterial growth, especially in high and humid weather conditions. And how do you prevent uh, yourself from getting that to make sure that eggshells are intact when you purchase them store them in the refrigerator and also wash your hands after touching the surface of eggshells i think that's something that probably not everyone does i did not know Hmm, that yeah and also campylobacter bacteria and you know when i was writing the script i was actually really eating an egg (laughs) (laughs) so i made sure to have my hands washed after that and as campylobacter bacteria may be present on the surface of raw chicken you should also wash your hands thoroughly after touching chicken and also before washing poultry such as raw chicken uh, when cooking it's recommended to wash all other ingredients first such as vegetables and stuff like that also cooking tools such as cutting boards and knives should be used separately when cooking and food should not be cooked when you have symptoms like diarrhea that was interesting so probably if you have something like food poisoning symptoms you should not cook and that could make others sick maybe yeah (laughs) because you might still have that on your hands as well so anything you touch Mm. maybe could leave yeah i mean uh yeah i've i've heard that right now something is going around uh i know in uh, the daycare center uh that my son goes to Mm -hmm. they they were supposed to have like pool day or something like Mm -hmm. that like Mm -hmm. the kids go swimming and but then like there's like some kind of uh, stomach virus or like these uh things going on so they canceled everything but i mean i stopped sending my kid to daycare again for the past two days because covid is popping up there and like all these kids are popping up and then i mean the last thing i want to do is have my kid get covid again and then i'll probably get it and my wife will get it and i have to Mm. be on zoom doing radio once again so you sure you're not enjoying working from home no you know the thing is i'll be honest with you um i didn't like it for like the first three days of it mm-hmm. uh, because it, it, it's really difficult doing it at home and when you don't mm-hmm. have all the system in place but then like the last two days I was like kind of getting comfortable with <laughs> getting it getting used to it yeah I was getting yeah. used to it so I was like so oh. you were on Zoom? I was on Zoom I was live yeah, on Zoom I remember Zoom. yeah so like Soa was like sitting here and then they uh-huh. had to look at me up at this like we have a screen up there right and so she was you know they would look at me uh, while I'm at home uh, sick but uh, Don Pack says I often make up for myself uh, for my family as well. But yeah, uh, they say never just when you make kimbap, like eat it right away. Right. Uh, don't yeah. put it in room temperature. And you don't want to put it in the fridge because it gets hard. So you mm. can't eat it in the first place. So they say that that's one of the foods that you want to watch out for. I know I know kimbap's uh, very big right now, summertime. Outdoors, I know there's a lot of picnic thing, mm. things going on and everyone brings out kimbap. Watch out. Uh, there's You just got to be more careful with this. Guys, thank you very much. Uh, for joining uh, you guys are smiling because you got some big plans <laughs> coming up next. Apparently these two have a a fan meeting fan meeting after this show. Hey, that's TMI. Fan meeting coming out and uh, our our former English writer who who shouldn't be here is here because of that too. Uh, but nevertheless, guys, thank you very much. Stay safe. Have a great weekend. We'll see you guys again next have week. Have a good weekend. Have a good weekend. <laughs> 
You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.